You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. There are a lot of different ideas about who Jesus is. And some people think that he was just a good man, a prophet, maybe a historical figure. But the question that we're going to ask and hopefully at least begin to answer is 2,000 years old. Who do you say Jesus is? It's the ultimate question that I think all of humanity has to grapple with someday. Who do you say Jesus is? Now, it matters what other people say who Jesus is. Maybe mentors in your life, pastors, um, friends. Certainly it matters. But it doesn't compare to what you think. It matters who you say Jesus is. Now Mark, uh, we're in the Gospel of Mark. You can turn to Mark chapter eight if you want to follow along. Um, if you, maybe you don't believe me when I read from it, maybe, maybe you just have a lack of trust in general, grab a Bible. Um, not maybe the best reason to read along with me, but it is a reason. Mark chapter eight. Mark is an amazing storyteller. And as we've been working through the gospel, I hope you're reading it and I hope you'll see that the way that he brings different narratives together to kind of paint a picture, really ultimately to answer the question that we're asking today. Who do you say Jesus is? And, and, And so the way he weaves different narratives together to kind of paint this picture is really amazing. Now, I think we've all seen interviews. You know those interviews, especially in the news, where the interviewer is trying to trap the interviewee to say something that they don't want to say or that the interviewer wants them to say. And this is the scene that we enter into in Mark chapter 8. There's a group of religious leaders that are trying to trap Jesus to say something that he'll regret that they can use against him or to say something that they agree with, that they want him to say, you know. And so that's the picture that Mark is painting for us. In verse 11, we'll start. Mark chapter eight, the Pharisees, that's this group of, of religious leaders, came and began to argue with Jesus. Who argues with Jesus? <laughs> I, as I was thinking about that, I was like, well, I, I've, I've argued with Jesus, so I guess that we shouldn't be too hard on these guys. Anyway. They came and began to argue with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. They're looking for Jesus to do a miracle. (laughs) What's really fascinating and kind of humorous is just right before, like right before this, Jesus takes seven loaves of bread and feeds 4,000 people with bread left over. And right before that, he heals a deaf man. Let's keep going. And right before that, I mean, it's just on and on. He's constantly giving them signs. But they are asking him for what? For the sign they want. They want Jesus to do the ultimate sign, which is take over Rome. They want Jesus to use all this power that he's displaying to, and overwhelm the, the, the oppressor in their land the Roman Empire. And so that's really the sign that they're looking for, is that, hey, if you're who you say you are and you've got all this going on for you, can you use it for me? It's not that different, the kinds of prayers we sometimes pray. That God, you would use who we know you are and the power that you have to work on for my benefit. And 
So they ask him, they're seeking a sign from him. And you know what he does? He sighed deeply in his spirit. Oh, like, he probably shook his head. And he says, why does this generation seek a sign? It's almost like, why do you seek a sign at all? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Jesus doesn't want, Jesus isn't this entity that we can manipulate. I think sometimes we, as, especially as Christians, for those of us that are Christ followers, we think oh, that, I mean, if I pray, he answers. This is the way it works. But we so often pray prayers that are not according to his will. They're according to our will. And that's kind of what Mark is describing here. And, and, and then Jesus tells his disciples, so we're just gonna go kind of step by step through this chapter. So then, then Jesus tells his disciples right after this, after this confrontation with the Pharisees, he tells them, watch out, be alert for the leaven, the leaven in bread, right? The leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. And uh, the disciples aren't really seen very clearly because um, they had forgotten to bring bread. The, the text actually says that. They forgot to bring bread. Um, they had only one loaf of bread with them. And so they're thinking Jesus is referring to some kind of bread that the Pharisees have. <laughs> so they're just not getting it. And then all this is really ironic because here are the leaders, the future leaders of the church who were just involved participants in a miracle of feeding 5,000 people, uh, 4, 000, over 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread and they had plenty of leftover and they forgot the bread. It's just funny to me. And then it got real serious when I felt the Lord kind of point out to me, especially this past week, um, how often do the leaders of God's church forget to consistently feed themselves from the work of Jesus? And then we hear yet of another moral failure in the body of Christ. It's just, it's just ironic. And, and then the leaven, this leaven of the Pharisees, this leaven that Jesus talks about, is this idea that Jesus would establish his kingdom using the ways of this world. That's the leaven Jesus is saying, beware of. Because it's tempting and intoxicating this idea that Jesus would use his power to establish his kingdom on earth in the same way that other kings and kingdoms established their way on this earth with power. And Jesus is saying, beware of that. And we've just finished a church history series a few weeks back and we've showed you, right? Throughout church history, this is what the church is constantly being tempted to do. Even in this day and hour, we are tempted to use the power of Jesus, the name of Jesus to establish what we think is his kingdom to make America a Christian nation again. And so we beckon, we call out, we, we evoke the name of Jesus and to use his power to do what we want him to do, to establish his kingdom our way. <laughs> Some of you are like really nervous right now. I can feel it. You're kind of like, Ugh. And I, it, it's just... It, it's funny to me. It's funny to me that's, that we, we, can, we, we like think we got it all figured out. That we got Jesus all figured out. We know exactly what he wants. 
And all you have to do is read one page of any of the gospels and you realize how often we don't have it figured out. That we're constantly missing it. And that's one of Mar- what Mark is doing here in this, in this chapter is he's showing us that we, we, at times we might see clearly, but we don't com- see completely clearly. That we sometimes, sometimes we know, but then we know in part, we don't know fully. There's this, that, that, that there's this missing. We're kind of like, oh, we're not quite seeing it right. And Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees because it can distract you from my, what, I'm, what I'm actually trying to do, what my will actually is. Stop trying to prop Jesus up. He doesn't need us to do that with worldly power. Because it ends up like leaven, it ruins the whole loaf of bread when we mix the ways of this world with the ways of Jesus. And then some people bring a blind man. So, this, so he goes from the leaven of the Pharisees, he brings a blind, uh, Jesus heals a blind man. And so he, they, they bring him a blind man and, and, uh, and, and Jesus takes the blind man outside of the village. And, um, and, and you know what Jesus does? He spits in his eyes. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, what? I don't understand. I mean, Jesus, son of God, could do whatever he wants, does whatever he wants, and spits in this guy's eyes. And, 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 and then he asked him, do you see anything? Verse 24, and he looked up, <laughs> dude does this, you know, <laughs> he gets the stuff out of his eyes. And he looks up and he says, well, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Uh, maybe Jesus is having a bad day. I don't know. I mean, I mean, one touch, one word, right? I mean, we know. Yeah, if you read through the Gospels, you're like, it doesn't take much for Jesus to heal somebody. And blindness is easy for him. <laughs> like, it's like, what's going on here? Why is this a progressive healing? Why isn't it an instantaneous one? And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and the man opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. I think what, what Mark is doing here is he's showing that through, through that, this, that this man's physical blindness is very similar to the disciple's spiritual blindness. That, that he, at one point he could see nothing and the disciples could see nothing. And then they could, the blind man could see a little bit, but not completely clearly. But, and the disciples can see a little bit, but not complete, complete clarity. And, and then there's this point where the blind man sees everything. And then you're going to see, oh, there's this revelation of who Jesus is that takes place. And so I think Mark is, is putting all of these stories in a certain order together for us to see this progression that sometimes that we think we know what Jesus is doing, but we don't. And then sometimes we do think that we do see what he's doing clearly, but then we very quickly miss it and we misuse it. And so that's what's happening here. And so, so then right after this man gets healed from his blindness, Jesus uh, takes his disciples um, and to Caesarea Philippi. And it's a long day journey. It's a long day journey. And, um, and he talks to them about, he asks them, who do people say that I am? 
And so they, they kind of have a conversation around, who, you know, some say you're Elijah, you know, a prophet, that kind of thing. And then Jesus asked them the, the question we're looking at today. But who do you say that I am? Those of you that are following me, those of you that are trying to live by my code, who do you, who do you think I am? Do you guys agree? Do you think I'm just a prophet, a good guy? What do you, who, do you, who do you say that I am? Um, funny, funny thing, my kids never ask me to help them with math. <laughs> um, they always, but they always ask their mom. Always ask their mom, never ask me. Anybody want to guess why? No, seriously, I, just feedback. Anybody want to guess why? Somebody just said, because I'm not good at it. No, I'm much better than my wife at math. <laughs> That didn't even occur to me in this. <laughs> and she would agree. The reason is, is because if I help them with math, I would give them clues. I would help them, well, have you thought about this? Um, what did your teacher tell you to do? Uh, what does the book say? So we'd open up the book. You know what Suzanne would do? Here, just give me your pencil. This is, you just <laughs> you do this, and then you do this, and then that's the answer. And they're like, Oh, thanks, Mom. I get it now. <laughs> Two minutes later, yo, Mom. And I'm like, Suzanne, you can't go and take the test with them. You're not helping them out at all. But that's what's kind of happening with the disciples. And Je see, Jesus knew that his disciples needed to figure some things out. And he dropped plenty of clues, so many clues about who he is. And, and, and they, but they, they kind of had to deal with it. They had to figure it out. They had to ask questions. They had to ponder it. They had to, make, they had to walk it out. They had to ask questions. And, and, and they're beginning to see, but they don't always see clearly. And so they have to like, when this, when this question, who do you say I am? Jesus isn't just gonna come and tell you, here, this is who I am. He wants you to discover who he is and what he's about. It's just like this blind man, right? He can see in part, then there's, we can see a little bit more clearly. That's how revelation of Jesus is. We think that light bulbs go on, but they constantly, with, with Jesus, they constantly go on. You, you, you know one thing and then, and then you know another thing and you just, it, it keeps building like this. And so, you, so, so Peter, so Jesus asks him, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I love Peter. Peter is like throughout this whole story. And by the way, most likely Peter helped Mark write this gospel. Some call this the gospel of Peter, but it was actually penned by Mark. But, um, but Peter chimes in. And this is what he says. You are the Christ. What that means is that Peter's saying you are the Messiah. So what the, the, the word Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. Jesus Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. It's a title, and it's the Messiah, which means it's the one, what Peter was saying is, you're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that's been prophesied in the pages of the Old Testament that would come and would deliver us from our enemies, that you would uh, set us free. We're, 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 and what Peter is thinking when he says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the Messiah, He's saying, you're the king. And he's also saying, and I'm, I'm kind of expecting you to do what all kings do when they come in and take over. 
that when you come and you establish your kingdom, that means all the other kingdoms of this world will submit to your kingdom. That's what Peter is thinking when he says you are the Christ. And so we say, yes, Peter, you got, you got, you got it right, sort of. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, but he didn't come to do what you think he came to do. And, um, and, and so Peter's saying, you are the one true king. And then this is what Jesus does right after Peter's kind of aha moment. Verse 31. And he began, Jesus began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. It was like, as clear as Jesus could possibly, he didn't use a story here, he didn't use a metaphor, he didn't, it wasn't a parable, one thing meant another thing, it was as plain as day, you guys, I am going to suffer and be rejected and killed. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. This is just that plainly. Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him. Why? Because his vision of Jesus the king isn't what Jesus just described. He was thinking Jesus was going to do something completely, quite the opposite. And so he rebukes Jesus. By the way, I love that Jesus had a kind of relationship with his closest friends that they felt comfortable rebuking him. That's amazing. That's a whole different sermon. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Whoa. Like, that's serious, you guys. That's like, like you know, that's not a little slap on the hand. He's like, yo, bro, did you... Did you you're not representing me. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. See, we, we, wanna, we wanna have a vision of Jesus and then take that vision and put him into our context and have him do what we need him to do. And Jesus is like, I'm fully other. I am not of this world. I don't play by the same rules. I'm not gonna take over like the rest of the kingdoms do. I'm not gonna invade. I'm not gonna take over. I'm not gonna use force. I'm not gonna do what you think I should do. I'm not gonna do it. It's like your team just, like, it's, it's like your team just realized we're gonna win, guys. We're gonna win. He's the Messiah. I just said it. He agreed to it. It's good. We're gonna win. And then he says, but we gotta lose first. It's like, it's like, no, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Like Charlie Brown says, winning ain't everything, but losing ain't anything. And that's how we live our lives. I mean, that's how we think. And imagine what Peter is thinking. He just had this aha moment with Jesus. And then Jesus is like, is like dude, you're not getting it. You just, you, you saw it. You were so close. But I don't blame Peter because I do the exact same thing. I take my vision of Jesus and I use him. And I, and I say things that, oh, Jesus doesn't want that. Oh, Jesus wants this. Oh, Jesus is gonna do that. Oh, Jesus won't do that. As if, as if we can all just figure him out and have him all neat and tidy. 
It's more like we see something, a revelation, and then we don't. And then we see something, it's like, oh, I see you, I see you, that's who you are. And then a moment later, it gets a little blurry. So who do you say Jesus is? The one thing that in answering this question is that I'm convinced of is that there is no coming to Jesus, there is no revelation of Jesus on our terms. He invites us to come alongside him and participate with him and allow his life to speak for itself. And that's what he does. After he taught them that he must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and be killed and after three days rise again and Peter rebukes him after that whole moment, right, immediately following, he calls the crowd together to him, verse 34, with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. In a paragraph, Jesus just described what it means to follow Jesus. In just this moment, momentary interaction with Peter and his disciples and the crowd, he's describing for us who he is and what he's about. The problem is, is we don't like it. We don't want it to be about the cross. We don't want it to be about sacrifice. We don't want it to be about laying our lives down for the other. We don't want it to be about that. We want him to come and use his power for our benefit. And it's just simply not his way. His way is cruciform. It's laying down our lives for those around us. It's loving our enemies. It's doing good to those who would hurt us. It is, it is completely other. It is backwards. It doesn't make any sense to this world. It is not the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. It is other than. To come alongside him and lose lose ourselves, lay ourselves down for his sake. It's, it's the vision that people over the centuries have grabbed onto and because of that, the gospel of Jesus has never failed. When we hold on to when his people see him for who he really is and run towards him and not try to use him for their own benefit. I want to invite the worship team back up and it's not the end of the story, okay? So this is, this is an amazing moment. It's kind of a turning point. Six days later, after this, um, this heavy moment of Jesus um, prophesying his own death and his own resurrection, after the, the invitation to come and follow me into a cruciform life, all of this, this the, the Pharisees demanding a sign, the leaven, the not being able to see, the blind man, all of this stuff is building towards this moment, I believe, in chapter nine of Mark. Jesus takes Peter and James and John up onto a mountain. And he led them up, in verse two of chapter nine, up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. You know what transfiguration is? It's, 
it's like um, as if I know, but (laughs) this is is what we can put together, is that Jesus became his resurrected self in glory. It's like like when Jesus ascended to the Father, that, that who he was in that moment, that, were, that they got to see a picture of that for a moment prior to it actually happening later. So it's the resurrected Jesus in his glory on, on this mountain. And this is that, so that's what transfigured. He was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses So Elijah and Moses show up too. I mean, they're like on the mountain together and they were talking with Jesus. They're having a conversation. Man, I just wonder what they're talking about. I'm pretty sure they're talking about Moses. This is his first time in the promised land. I think Jesus and him are probably having a conversation about that. Um, Anyway, they're talking with Jesus. It's this amazing moment. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, I mean, like who interrupts this moment first? What human being feels like confident enough to go like, Moses is standing there, Elijah's there, Jesus is all radiant. It's like, uh, uh, excuse me. (laughs) Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. (laughs) Literally, it's good that we're here. Let us, can can we make three tents? One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for he was terrified. I'm sure he's sitting by Mark. He's telling him this story. He said, make sure, make sure they know that I was completely out of my mind, man. I didn't know what I was saying when I suggested that. It was totally inappropriate. I should have just kept my mouth shut. <laughs> he didn't know what to say. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. I think our response when we get to see Jesus in his glory, our best response is to worship. Is when the blinders come off for that moment in time where we actually see Jesus for who he truly is. We don't immediately, we shouldn't immediately start to try to plan out how we might use what we see of him and who he actually is for our own gain. We should just stop for a minute and worship Jesus for who he is a glorified savior, a resurrected, the resurrected one, the lamb that was slain before the beginning of time. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He was there in the beginning. He was, he is, he will forever be the almighty one. He is, that's who he is. He's more than just a messiah. He is more than just God in the flesh. And all of those things are amazing in and of themselves. But he is not of this world. Let us not bring him to this level and try to use him for our own gain. And be encouraged because knowing him, really knowing him doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen immediately or from a one and done decision. It's a progressive understanding of Jesus that we're still, I'm still, my eyes are still being opened. 
And today I want our eyes to be open just a little bit more to see another layer of who Jesus is. And so we're gonna worship together and would you allow Jesus to open up your eyes a bit more today? Would you stand with me? Um, I felt in this moment, I wasn't sure I was gonna do it because what I'm gonna ask of you um, is it, make, it will make you uncomfortable. Um, I felt compelled though. I felt like, and the reason I'm gonna ask you to do what I'm gonna ask you to do is because I know in my own life that sometimes I need to do something physically that expresses my heart spiritually. And I don't wanna stay and maybe you feel this way too. I don't want to stay at the bottom of the mountain, blinded by all the distractions of this life. I want to, I want to go up the mountain with Jesus. And I think he's inviting us there to see him for who he really is, the glorified one, to allow him to remove another layer of veneer from our eyes so that we can see him just a little bit more clearly today. And if that is your desire, like it is mine, then I'm gonna ask you to take a step. Maybe it's a step from where you're at right now just to the aisle next to you, but it's a physical demonstration. And for some of you, maybe it's to take a step all the way up here to the front, to the altar as a, a sign of Jesus, I want to know you. I want to see you. I want to experience your presence. I want, I want the distractions in this life to fade away for a moment. I want to see you clearly. And so if that's your heart with me, would you, during this song at some point, if, if you have the boldness to come and join me here at the front or in the aisles and take a step toward Jesus as a symbol of what you, he, what you want him to do in you. Let's worship.